All of us are on a journey of becoming, a complicated journey in pursuit of truth and deeper knowledge of the divine. Many of you know that faith is a complicated thing and that it can be a painful and difficult journey and far too often we are not given a space where we can safely address the complications and issues that arise naturally. My name is Joshua Patterson and I too am on a journey of becoming. I am dedicated to inviting you into my journey and creating a space where questions and critical thinking are welcome. I want to take an honest look at the issues and questions plaguing the Christian church today. I want to genuinely seek out what it means to live like Jesus in our ever-changing world, in our unfolding and expanding universe, and in our pluralistic society. I have come to know that doubt is not the enemy of faith but it is perhaps one of its greatest allies. I have learned that the Christian faith is more about wisdom and love than it is about correct doctrine or belief. And I believe that we are being invited to continually seek out both wisdom and love, renewing our minds, expanding our hearts, and rethinking our faith in the process. Thank you for joining me on that journey. All right. Well, welcome to another episode of the Rethinking Faith podcast. As always, I'm your host, Josh Patterson. And with me today is a returning guest, I believe, for his third time here on Rethinking Faith. And that is Brian McLaren. Brian, how's it going? Hey, man. Great to be with you again. Yeah. Thank you so much for uh, for agreeing to hang out. Um, it's It's been a little bit of time. I think the last time you were on was right around the time you launched uh, your previous book, Faith After Doubt. Yeah. And so what have you been up to since then? <laughs> well, I, I, I have been busy enough that I don't think I've gotten in any major trouble. <laughs> um, uh, I've been working on this book. Um, I do some teaching for Center for Action and Contemplation. I spend a lot of time on Zoom, and um, I live in Florida, so I've got some a uh, little mango grove in my backyard, and I enjoy getting out and in mango season, enjoying the fruit, and the rest of the year pruning and enjoying the trees. So, yeah, everything's good for me. That's awesome. My uh, my wife and I we had a short stint in Florida. We lived there for about three years, um, and we had two different houses when we lived there, and both times we had mango trees in our backyard. Uh, and that was oh, really great. cool. We definitely missed that. So I'm trying to uh, take Noelle uh, to Florida for her birthday in May because we haven't oh, been back great. for like three years since we've left. So, yeah, it would be cool to. Awesome. Yeah, we loved it there. <laughs> well, you mentioned um, you mentioned that you had been working on a new book and that book I actually have it right here. It's called Do I Stay Christian? A Guide for the Doubters, the Disappointed and the Disillusioned. Yeah. So I have been uh, waiting for this book since you first mentioned it. <laughs> I think mm. uh, when we talked last time, you had said, oh, I'm working on like kind of like a companion to Faith After Doubt. Uh, yes. And it piqued my interest then. And uh, this was insanely helpful, Brian. Thank you so much. Oh, I'm um, glad to hear that, man. You're, yeah. you're literally like the fifth person I've talked to who's read it. So I'm really glad. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I have. Like, like genuinely, it came at, at such a, a helpful time for just me personally, like where I'm at in my own spiritual journey and yes. musings. 
um, it was just like perfect timing. So uh, it's, it was, again, more, more than helpful. <laughs> so thank you so oh, much. Um, so I wanted to, to actually ask that question and, and have a conversation about that around the book, but I wanted to ask a leading question first. Um, yes. That at least uh, seems important to me, uh, but maybe just to me, I don't know. <laughs> and mm-hmm. if we're, before we can ask the question, uh, do I stay Christian? Um, I was thinking what even constitutes as a Christian in the first place, yeah. right? Is like, yes. what, what do I have to do? So I, I used to be a pastor um, and I have stopped being a pastor now. I actually just passed one whole year uh, since I was a pastor. Um, and now I, I confession, I have not attended church since I have stopped being a pastor. Um, I've done other things like small groups, but that's it. Um, so yeah, like, do I have to affirm the apostles creed, the Nicene creed, you know, what or whom gets to say this? (laughs) What do you think? Well, in, in a way, that's really why I wrote this book, because I think, uh, I think the word Christian is used in so many different ways that, uh, we, we have to have some really serious conversation and soul searching about what we even mean by the word, whether the term is salvageable. And if, if we are going to try to salvage it, what do we want it to mean? And that to me is the really interesting question. What do we want it to mean? Um, and as you probably remember in the introduction, I gave this long list of different possible definitions of what Christian means from, uh, historical and cultural definitions to institutional, doctrinal, liturgical, spiritual, all kinds of different definitions of what the term means. And one of the real problems is that when people can be considered Christians and still be scoundrels, and uh, it makes you think, why would this be a term I would be so interested in identifying with? And so um, that really is, is a, big, uh, a big part of the reason for, for writing the book. If you were to ask me what I wish that the, the term meant, um, I'd be glad to tell you, but it, it almost doesn't matter what, what I wish because uh, I will live out what I wish it means. But I think, uh, I think a whole lot of us, I think, need to problematize the fact that it can mean so many different things now. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, um, I mean, I know that resonates deeply with myself, like what, what do I want that to mean? (laughs) And then like, because it it has been co-opted in so many ways. And um, I had like a really fun conversation uh, with a buddy of mine, Dan Koch, recently um, asking that question, like, am I still a Christian? What does that even mean? (laughs) Him and him and uh, Matt Carter. And um, yeah, I mean, I think like basically what we came away saying was like, you know, for us, it's like, I, I feel like I have to be able to, like you said, I have to be able to define that for myself almost. Um, And then hopefully in the way that I live and carry out my life, it reflects something like the person of Jesus. And that seems to me to be like, that's what I kind of hope it means. I don't, (laughs) I don't know. No, I I think that (laughs) makes so much sense. You know, um, uh, I, I, I'm in, uh, have connections with an organization where um, they were talking about the founder of the organization. And they here's what they said. This is really interesting. 
they said, this organization is about the founder, but the founder has never been about himself. So maybe the organizations should decide to become what the founder was about rather than be about the founder. Isn't that an interesting way to say it? That is very interesting. Um, and, and so if you were to say, okay, well, I want this to be about Jesus. Well, then I should ask, what was Jesus about? And, uh, and it sure looks to me like Jesus was about something bigger than and beyond himself, which he called the kingdom of God. And, and he defined that as being about loving God, yourself, your neighbor. And I think in today's world, we would have to add the earth because the earth is under such threat. So to me, if being a Christian were really about being what Jesus was about, that would be a pretty, pretty great thing. Yeah, for sure. I like the, the language of the kingdom of God too. Although like, I don't know. I feel like all of this kind of language, I would throw my own like nuance on it, you know, nowadays for sure. And like, but the kingdom of God stuff, I think is really interesting. Um, and it's just something for me that I tried to live into. I've, so I've been like heavily influenced, um, by a lot of, uh, Buddhist teachers more recently. Um, and also from, uh, some like philosophers like Alan Watts, um, and Philip Shepard and people like this. And, but the kingdom of God thing intrigues me because for me, it's like, um, I guess maybe part of what I would say it means to be Christian um, or maybe even human is, is living in this uh, kingdom uh, that is here to see for, for people who have eyes to see yes, and ears yes, to hear. Yes, yes. Um, yes. And Thich Nhat Hanh talks about when we can touch deeply the present moment, then we find yes. ourselves living in the kingdom of God. And yes. uh, that's compelling to me. That's can I tell very- you, um, I even, what, what you just said that, you know, that language of the kingdom of God made electric dynamic sense when Jesus said it in the first century. When we say it today, it doesn't mean what it meant for Jesus. One reason being that in Jesus' day, kingdoms were the dominant reality. And in today's world, kingdoms are a kind of a thing of the past. So if I think we would have to find ways to translate that term into the, into today's world to really help it make sense for people other than you know Bible scholars and philosophers, but um, even in the New Testament, I remember back when I was a preacher, I noticed the phrase "kingdom of God" comes up again and again and again in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In John, it hardly ever comes up, and uh, what seems to happen between the whenever Matthew, Mark, uh, and Luke were written down, let's say the AD 60s to AD 70s, maybe, but probably in that, no later than that. Uh, Maybe they snuck into the 80s, I don't know. But the Gospel of John was written probably after after, uh, AD 90, um, and it could have been a little bit after that. Uh, In that amount of time, it looks like John has translated the phrase kingdom of God into something else because the word stops making sense in the way that it made even a few decades before. And the phrase that John uses is life, abundant life or eternal life. And of course, it's really a shame that we use that word eternal life because 
the word that John actually uses is life of the ages. So um, uh, so interesting that even we see that kind of translation going on even in the New Testament. Yeah, most definitely. And I think the Gospel of John is probably my favorite out of the four because I like all the like, you know, uh, like big, like cosmic Christ kind of stuff. Yes, and I think yeah, you can yeah. get a lot of that in uh, in John. And then yeah, a lot yeah. of the, the the ways that I want to talk about salvation and the kingdom of God and things like that. Uh, the Gospel of John lends itself nicely <laughs> to my yeah, more yeah. Uh, mystical bendings and musings uh, yeah. that I've I've come to find so helpful uh, more recently. But I guess what would be maybe interesting is I thought we could have a conversation the way uh, basically how you structured your book. So listeners, yeah. um, the book is set up. So the first section is called No, <laughs> and there's 10 really good reasons uh why we would answer the question do i say christian no and then uh the next section is titled yes and there's 10 really good reasons and compelling uh reasons why we should say yes and so um i thought maybe we could start with no and um what i want to do ouch cat please stop forgive me we have a new kitten and he is very feisty um (laughs) but i i want to kind of share like with you just why i might say no just from like yeah, a personal perspective and then yeah. um jump i i pulled out three of your no reasons that um i found really compelling um if that's cool with you well that sounds great maybe try that so uh why for me why i say no i guess i have many many reasons um but two of the really big ones for me is one uh what some people have just labeled as like church hurt and i yeah. think that often gets written off. Uh, People are like, oh, well, your faith isn't supposed to be in church. It's in Jesus. So how can the church hurt you? And uh, I know people mean well when they say that, but it's, it's fairly dismissive. Uh, But I, my, my very first job that I had as a pastor in a church um, was in a non-denominational church that started in New York city. Uh, They then built a, a campus in Boca Raton, Florida. And Basically, when I worked there, it was terrible. I won't go into much detail. I've talked about it way a million times, but I dealt with things like verbal abuse, emotional abuse, spiritual abuse, borderline physical abuse. It was just a terrible, awful place to work. Mm-hmm. Um, I was there for eight months. That was eight months too long. And mm-hmm. that was one of the things that really uh, broke me, so to yes. speak. Um, yeah. I was, you know, here I was this like young, excited pastor (laughs) who just moved, you know, from Maryland to Florida uh, with his, you know, newly married to my wife. And I wanted to make a difference in the world. And then all of that got shit on in like five minutes of me being there. And uh, I remember on the very last day of me being there, um, the head pastor literally like literally backed me into a corner. And like finger in my face, which was common for him. Um, if you ever do or say anything that causes harm to said church, I personally will ensure you never work in ministry again. Hmm. And uh, I was just talking with my therapist last week. And in a really strange, yeah. weird and messed up way, uh, he was right. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I'm not I'm no longer a pastor. And yeah. uh, he is a large reason why that is. 
Um, yeah. And is, and is he still at it? Still doing? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That church still exists. And um, yeah, it actually, that really bothers me too. That kind of, I guess, falls yeah. into the problem of evil, but the fact that that place still exists um, is a reason yeah. that I would also put on my, my list for no, yeah. not, and not willing. Just, and you, and you know that there are probably dozens, if not hundreds of people who've had similar experiences with that kind of toxic, arrogant, small-minded leadership yeah oh a hundred percent yeah um so so that was a big one and then uh the other one for me and this you actually um talk about this and this is one of the ones i i pulled out but i just started to realize and learn that the universe is way bigger than i ever thought it was (laughs) yes and uh the god that i had been handed um yes was not as big as the universe and yes. I was like, what? That God has yes. to at least be as big as the universe, right? <laughs> and so um, that started uh, me on, on a trail of, of reading things. And I got very uh, interested in things like quantum physics and the study of mm. time, the nature of consciousness, uh, evolution, nature, things like that. And all of those things, um, I was just like, wow, this is so good and 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 awesome. And this makes God seem so much cooler. Um, but yeah, for whatever reason, there's a large group of people who seem to think that stuff's not, not so great. And yes. they would rather stay with a pre Newtonian, <laughs> like ancient yes. Greek, uh, version of God. And, um, I can't, if that's what it means to say Christian, I can't do it. Uh, yeah. because I can't unsee the things that I've seen. Beautiful and uh, yeah. can't unexperience uh, the God that I've experienced. Yes. So. Yes. Well, that's beautiful. Beautifully said. Um, and I, I, uh, as you know, I, I share those those um, feelings. When you when you talked about church hurt, probably the chapter where I talk about that sort of thing. Well, it would be a couple. Um, I, I have a chapter called "Because of the White Christian Old Boys Network." that's about white patriarchy. And that sounds like that kind of dominating pastor, abusive pastor that is really common in the religious world. Um, And it's common in Protestantism and Catholicism. Uh, Elsewhere in the the book, I talk about Christianity's company men and these, and and so you have these sort of dominating patriarchal, um, you know, well, I don't know what to call them, except abusive people. Um, And then you have other people who just go along with it. And, you know, um, you had, after eight months, you had the good sense to say, I don't want to be part of this. Imagine what it does to a person who keeps protecting and defending someone like that for five years, 10 years, 30 years, their whole life. So there's an awful lot behind that whole thing of church hurt that you're, you're absolutely right. And um, I have a, a, another chapter called, um, under the no section called, Because Christianity is Stuck. And I call that toxic theology. And, and exactly as you said, um, I, I said, it's not just the specific doctrines that this or that group of Christians believes, but that those doctrines are like the tip of an iceberg. And under the tip that you can see is a whole set of assumptions that a lot of people think you have to uphold about the age of the earth or the age of the universe or 
uh, even just the nature of the universe that are so unbelievable to any person who with open eyes and ears today. So those are serious problems. And if the Christian faith, um, if they don't want to keep losing good people, um, they're going to have to have the courage to address those, those problems. Yeah. Oh, most, you know, most assuredly, most definitely. And I think um, it's interesting because <laughs> I was having, I had a conversation with somebody and um, over, you know, on Facebook, which is a very bad idea. I don't recommend doing that, <laughs> but cat, please stop. But um, I, I posted something just, you know, about um, the universe expanding or something like that. And um, how God has to be as big as the universe or, or basically saying that like Christianity will be co continue to become irrelevant if we can't keep up with this kind of stuff. Yeah. And the, my friend uh, who is a friend of mine, so that's so I can pick on them a little bit uh, wrote back yeah. and they were like, Oh, well, like maybe Christianity becomes irrelevant when you try to make it relevant or something like that. Like who said relevance, yes, yes, like yes. cultural relevance matters. Da, da, da. I was like, yes, well, yeah. you could make that argument but it would be irrelevant <laughs> because, you know, um, and, and yeah. let's be honest, that's the kind of thinking that leads to QAnon and all kinds Most of other definitely. authoritarian conspiracy theories. If, um, if what you're asking for is that this should be intelligible, the Bible has so much to say about wisdom and, and knowledge and understanding. And if somebody says, well, your wisdom, knowledge, understanding don't matter. Uh, they're defending something and in the process of defending it, they're actually denying it, you know? Um, and, but I understand uh, people, uh, people say that, that sort of thing. Um, and the, the irony is that, you know, is that when you, if, if you're forced to try to keep these very small concepts of God, it makes you lose faith. Um, but if, or, or maybe have what we might call bad faith, where God just becomes something that you use, but it doesn't really inspire your awe or reverence. But if we allow ourselves to say, this universe is so much bigger, and it gives us a sense of wonder and awe and hum humility, I think that puts us in a better place to have conversations about God. I'll tell you one other thing that might, you may know this already, um, Josh, but it, it might be of interest if you hadn't heard this. There was one of the early scholars in the, in the history of Christianity named Gregory of Nyssa. And um, Gregory's uh, contemporaries had pretty much bought into a kind of a school of Greek philosophy called Neoplatonism. And, and a lot of what we even consider today as Christian orthodoxy is really framed by a lot of the assumptions of Neoplatonism. Well, Gregory never really bought that. And Gregory had this, had this definition that made some of his fellow scholars a little nervous about him. Here's what he said. He said, perfection is infinite progression. Um, in other words, he, he said, if you try to call something perfect, and it's not continuing to grow and expand. It's not really perfect. <laughs> and I just think he, he, his understanding matches our century a lot more than, than maybe it did his century. But I think it's, uh, there's so much wisdom there.
Yeah, and that, that works well as a solid plug for uh, process theology. So this is, yes. <laughs> which I'm a huge, a huge fan of process theology. I'd consider myself a process uh, thinker. And I know uh, that when our mutual friend Trip Fuller uh, listens to the podcast, anytime he hears the word process theology, he gets very, very excited. So this is just, I'm going to say it one more time just for Trip, and then we'll move on. Process theology. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but yeah, Brian, actually, um, as we're talking to it, it reminded me of this um, article uh, that was written by E. Marshall Brooks. It, it's like a peer-reviewed um, psychiatry paper. Uh, that my therapist actually sent me. She said she that I might find it helpful and check out this title ready. The Disenchanted Self, Anthropological Notes on Existential Distress and Ontological Insecurity <laughs> Among Ex-Mormons uh, in Utah. So interesting. it's specifically about Mormons, but when I read it, um, it very much uh, resonated. I had you know a lot mm. of similar thoughts and experiences uh, and I also, I just love the existential distress and ontological insecurity. If that doesn't describe yes. me as a person, <laughs> yes, but yes. Uh, there's a, a section um, where one of the people being interviewed was talking and uh, basically she was said, it says ex-Mormons claim that they're having dug too deep into that fabled, fabled past paradoxically affected a radical disenchantment of their once stalwart faith. As a middle-aged ex-Mormon woman once told me, everyone says that if your testimony was ever actually real or as strong as it was supposed to be, you never would have lost it. But that's not right. We were doing everything we were taught, as much, if not more, than anybody else. It's really the best of us who leave. Yes. And I've heard so many stories like that of people who were genuinely trying to follow Jesus and yeah. read their Bibles, read, you know, the latest and greatest biblical uh, studies, the, you know, latest and greatest uh, theological works. Um, and they ended up where I am. I mean, that's my yes. story. <laughs> yes. Yes. And so it's, it was interesting to me that that uh, found its way in uh, specifically with Mormons, but I would imagine, I mean, uh Buddhists, oh, exactly. Muslims, Jews, yeah. everybody. This is not a Christian yeah. problem per se. That's right. You, you know, it's funny, uh, you're bringing back to me memory when I was a young pastor and I was preaching, uh, you know, having to really engage with the Bible each week to preach. One year I decided, I can't remember, one summer I think I was going to preach through, through the book of Exodus. And when you preach through several chapters at a time, you notice things you don't notice when you just pull a verse here, a verse there, a little story here. And I noticed that there were, that there were repetitions, that the same story would be told in twice. And then I noticed that in one of the tellings, the story would name God. In the English Bible, you would see God called the Lord with capital L-O-R-D. And that means they were translating a particular Hebrew name for God. And then in others, the, the second telling of the story, or first, you know, vice versa, it would have it, um, the Lord with capital L, then small O-R-D, which means another Hebrew word was used for God. And then I, and, and I had been, I had come across this theory 
that there were actually kind of four different sources for much of the Hebrew scriptures, and one used one word for God and one we used for the other. And I was told that's bogus, that's not true, that's not real. And I remember when I saw the evidence for it in the text itself, when I saw it for myself, I had this feeling like I, I'm going to have to either be dishonest or I'm going to have to admit that my people deceived me, you know? And, uh, and I think uh, the, how we cope with that kind of disillusionment is really, really tough, but it's more and more people are, are experiencing it. And uh, at, whether they're Mormon or Roman Catholic or evangelical, Southern Baptist, whatever they are, they're encountering these kinds of struggles. Yeah, most, most definitely. Um, and I want to, I guess I want to touch on one more thing within the no category, although I mean, there's a million <laughs> things that we could touch on, right? Um, I mean, like you said, the like white nationalism and patriarchy, uh, the violence, you know, you had multiple chapters talking about violence. Um, and all these things, I mean, so many things that that need to be mentioned. But one chapter that stood out to me the most because not because I think it's the most important, but because it just for me experientially, it's one that has always really bothered me on top of everything else that we've talked about. And that's your chapter uh, where you say, because Christianity is a failed religion, mm. that it, the lack of transformation. Yeah. And that question absolutely like drives me crazy. <laughs> yeah. Like as, as people who believe that, um, or at least some Christians believe, right. That uh, once you are saved, you are given the gift of the Holy spirit and the Holy mm. spirit is the one that brings about transformation in your life. That's um, I guess fairly common enough to say a lot of Christians would hold to that yeah. idea. Right. I don't want to be unfair. Yeah. Um, but if that's the case, then where's the transformation? <laughs> that's what yeah. I want to know. And that yeah. drives me crazy. And I'm not just talking about other people. I'm talking about inside of myself. Um, yeah. Where, where, you know, the fruits of the spirit or the, the one that always would get me is where's the peace that passes all understanding. Yeah. And I have found transformation uh, within a different um, spiritual tradition. That is one of the things that Buddhism has done for me. Um, yeah. And it's been insane. And I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, it complements my Christianity, but did I really have to go somewhere else to find this transformation? Um, mm. So, yeah, I don't know if any of that resonates with you at all, but I mean, you have a whole chapter on no. it. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it does. Um, can I just riff on that a little bit, um, Josh? So if, if we get honest, I, I remember once, Josh, uh, when I, I was leading a, a congregation uh, not too far from where you live now, and one of the leaders of our congregation, he, he you know, had come on for a term as a, a member of the leadership team. I think it was three-year terms. And so he was maybe a year into his term. And so he, at this point, is having to deal with a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff that we had to deal with. And he said, I used to think that Christians were more mature and loving than other people. He said, now I just realize Christians 
are just as immature and unloving. They just get upset about different things. <laughs> he, he said, you know, uh, people get ups at more upset about whether you had the right worship set of songs on a Sunday um, than they would about, you know, a, 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 a car accident, you know, a, somebody, a fender bender with their car. And he's, he said, it's not like we learned how to be nicer people. We just get mad about different things. And, um, and I think a lot of us experience this sense, wow, something isn't working. And I think there are a couple of things we ought to say about that. One is that major sectors of Christianity for major centuries of Christianity were not interested in personal transformation. They were interested in certifying people for heaven. Um, and they had different ways of certifying people. Some it was by saying the sinner's prayer, and some it was by reciting the Apostles' Creed, and some it was by not committing any mortal sins. And, uh, you know, it, it, different sects of Christianity had different ways of certifying you for heaven. But the issue of transformation wasn't important. They just were concerned about justification and forgiveness and your eternal destination. Um, it's kind of clear that Jesus was interested in personal transformation. He talked about, you'll know a tree by its fruit. He said, I don't care if you call me Lord, Lord, but if you don't do the things that I say, if it doesn't affect your way of life, what good is it? You know, Paul said, I don't care what you believe or, you know, how much money you give. If you don't have love, it's not worth anything. So in the New Testament, they really did seem to care about personal transformation, but major sectors of Christianity have not been that interested in it. Um, and as a result, the forms of Christianity that exist today, in some ways, the arts of personal transformation have been so suppressed and forgotten and lost. It's, it's like we have to re recover some of those things. And that's one of the really interesting things that's happened between Christianity and Buddhism over the last generation or so. Because what Buddhism didn't talk at all about forgiveness of sins or going to heaven when you die, Buddhism was primarily talking about a change in consciousness. Um, they were talking about how to, uh, in a sense, disconnect from your desires so that you could be present to the moment and not consumed by your desire, which leads to suffering. <clears throat> so there was a huge amount of attention to discipline of the mind and sort of rewiring of the mind. And um, that was present in Christianity at different times in the monastic traditions, the contemplative and mystical traditions. Um, but it, it hasn't been present in a lot of Christianity. So it's taken, Christians have had to go to Buddhism to find some treasures that used to be in Christianity that have been long forgotten. Uh, and I think that's great. I think that humbles us and reminds us that we're all just human beings and we need all the help we can get um, wh wherever it comes from. There's an old saying that all truth is God's truth. So I'm happy for truth that comes to me from the Buddha and truth that comes to me from Muhammad and truth that comes to me from Guru Nanak of Sikhism and, and as well as, of course, truth that comes to me from Jesus or Paul or Mary or, um, or whoever. So I, I, think, uh, I think that's a great example of how we just have to say the Christianity that many of us are asked to, to be satisfied with today, we don't even realize how history has changed it 
And it's not our only option, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. For sure. <laughs> and I think I love I love that you said, like, finding these treasures that used to be a part of the tradition, because I think I think that's so true. Like, um, the more I find these really good and beautiful things within all these different traditions, it then it's almost as if like, you know, your friend buys a white Honda Civic and then you always see white Honda Civics. It's like <laughs> that. I, I now I'm seeing, wait a minute, I'm seeing these beautiful treasures within my own tradition. I was just not even ever shown them. That's um, and a really interesting one that happened recently uh, is the, uh, the doctrine of uh, theosis, um, yes. or like unification with God. Very yes. classic Christian teaching, right? Um, yes. I started posting some ideas about that on Facebook and all of my evangelical buddies lost their minds. <laughs> yes. Like that is, you know, heresy and blah, blah, blah. So it's just interesting um, because again, that's a the whole goal of that is transformation. That's all that yes, doctrine exactly is about. Right. Um, but like you pointed <laughs> out, yeah. I'll, I'll just tell you, you know how a lot of Christians today have heard the bridge diagram, <laughs> right? Um, well, you know, that, that bridge diagram that there's a gap between man and God and the cross is the bridge. Uh, I mean, that no Christians in history had the bridge diagram. But if you went back to, you know, the early centuries of the church, here's the diagram that they would have had. It wasn't a diagram. It was a metaphor. They had the fireplace poker metaphor <laughs> because one of your most prized possessions uh, in the ancient world was to have an iron fireplace poker because you needed to stir the embers and move the logs around. And because it was iron, it wouldn't burn. And, you know, iron was like having an iPhone 13 or something, right? It was, it was a high tech thing. But if you had a fireplace poker, eventually you forgot and left it in the fire. And when you'd come back, you'd see that the tip of the fireplace poker that had been left in the coals was glowing red like coals. And this became a common metaphor through many centuries of Christianity to say, if our hearts are put left in the presence of God, the fire of God begins to transform our hearts. And, and just as the fireplace poker just rests in the fire and it takes on the nature of the fire, if we learn to rest in the presence of God. And so it was an invitation to a kind of meditation that was openness of the heart to the love of God and openness of the heart. And you weren't supposed to figure anything out or solve anything, or it was just to rest in that loving presence. Well, you know, that's a whole lot like meditation. And so this was a, a practice that Christians would have known for a long time, but a lot of us never were introduced to it. Yeah, wow. I so I think all of the chick tracks that exist today need to be recalled and then we'll replace the bridge with the the fireplace <laughs> poker and then maybe I will think it's maybe an okay idea to have gospel tracks. <laughs> but no, that's beautiful and, and, Brian. I hadn't heard that before. Thank you for sharing. And that was their metaphor for theosis because they said the iron by itself is just cold and you know, hard and uh, gray, but when it's in the presence of the fire, it glows with the nature of fire. Now, they didn't understand the physics, right? They didn't understand that. But the the visual metaphor was something that they seized onto. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. Um, I like that a lot. 
Um, I guess, man. So I want to end, I guess, on a positive note here. We'll, we'll jump to some yes real quick. Yes. And I'll try to give a yes answer. I'm going to do my best. Um, but I'm going to have to use an analogy first. So for me, um, when I think of religion or uh, spirituality, rather spirituality is like a, a flowing river. Mm-hmm. And I feel like what religion does a lot of the time uh, is take a bucket and dip it into the river and pull it out and then say, here's the river. Yes. Which is not necessarily wrong. You did yeah. get that water from the river. However, it's not the whole river. And also the river is no longer flowing. It's no longer yes. alive. Yes. And so I, I don't want to poo-poo on, on religion because I think religions yeah. um, matter. And uh, for me, Christianity was the bucket, um, you know, that was, I found myself within like the religion, the, the stream of spirituality or something like that, yes. you know, complete yeah. the metaphor <laughs> or uh, yeah. my friend, my friend Trace likes to talk about like uh, spiritual doorways, like our, our doorway yes. into spirituality. And for me, it was Christianity. Yes. Um, yes. And specifically there's something about the person of Jesus. Yes. And uh, actually I was talking to Trip recently um, and he there was a very pastoral moment on the very beginning of the conversation I had with him um, where he like went into pastor trip mode. And he basically said something along the lines of like, look, Josh, um, try to think back to when, you know, uh, you were air quotes on fire for the Lord or something like that. Yeah. 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 Um, and you were a pastor and, you know, you were, you were pastoring people and preaching and, and doing these things. He was like the animating force behind that is no different than the animating force that is keeping you going today. Um, Even though it it might look a little bit different. And so for me, it's like, I'm still a Christian because Jesus is that, or I would, I would say the Christ, but Jesus, uh, a unique manifestation of the Christ Mm. is the doorway for me into spirituality. And um, also, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh is a huge influence on me and he has been known, you know, when people go to uh, Plum Village uh, when he was still alive and they visited him, everybody wanted to convert to uh, Buddhism. And he would tell people, no, there are enough Buddhists. We have plenty of them. He said, instead, your tradition needs you. So stay there and be the very best version of your tradition that you can be. Um, And so for me, I guess that's why today I can say I'm a Christian. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yes. uh, I love that. I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, you may have heard of uh, a Muslim uh, organizer and activist and brilliant writer and just one of the finest gentlemen you'll ever meet uh, named Ibu Patel. He's written some great books. And Ibu told me he had a similar experience with the Dalai Lama. And he, uh, he was brought up in a, uh, he's brought up in a Muslim family, but he was so taken with the Dalai Lama that when he met him, he said, I'd like to become a Buddhist. And, and the Dalai Lama said, I'm a Tibetan Buddhist and you're not Tibetan. So you can't become a Tibetan Buddhist. And, and he said the same thing. And we don't need you. Um, you're Muslim. Islam needs you, you know, bring your light and bring your love and bring your compassion uh, into Islam. And, 
to me, that there's something about that that just sounds so wise and so right. Because the fact is, the whole human race is a hot mess right now. And we're in deep, deep trouble. And we need people in every different sector of life to find that fire uh, that that Trip talked to you about, or the fire that the fireplace poker goes into, and let that warm us up and fill us with compassion and wisdom and humility and awe and all these other things we've talked about, uh, and commitment and courage, uh, and and uh, to 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 live well in these challenging and dangerous times. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, they are very challenging and very dangerous. <laughs> the more, the more I, I read about uh, quantum physics and um, about, you know, the environment and the state that yeah. the environment's in, uh, it's some yeah. pretty scary stuff. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, it's not something to joke around with. And uh, but I think you're right. The people like, we need to awaken. <laughs> And uh, to the yes. reality that is before us, um, or else there's not going to be people for much longer. That's yeah, and that's why, as you know, the part one in this book was no, part two is yes, and then at the end of part two, I say, look, some people are going to stay Christian, some people aren't. But whether you stay a Christian or not, the question is, how are you going to live? And at the end of the day, I think that's the really important question. I actually think Jesus would care more about. The question, how are you going to live? Then the question, you know, what box do you check on a religious survey uh, question? And um, and suddenly that that makes all the difference. And and this is where I think one of the things I hope the book will help people do. I think a whole lot of people think that being a Christian is a problem for them. And I, we, you and I both understand why. And they think if I could just get rid of Christianity, my problem would be solved. Well. Maybe some problems would be solved, but the big human problem we're still going to face, and that's um, and that's where we uh, that's where we we have to ask the how question: How am I going to be a human being? Uh, and and uh, and can I just say, um, Josh, watching your growth and your uh, you know journey through these couple of years I've known you, and as you're sharing it with people on this podcast. It's to me super encouraging that you're helping all of your listeners to think about that question too. How are we going to live? That's that's what really matters. Well, Brian, thank you so much for that. I appreciate it. Um, there are times, so like I, I've, I'll just be real honest with you, real quick, because I, I know you have to go. But um, th- this question, "Do I stay a Christian?" has probably been the number one question I've been asking for like a year and a half. <laughs> And I'm still in the midst of asking that question or uh, at least figuring out, okay, if if I'm a Christian, what does that even mean? What does that, what does that look like? In what meaningful way can I call myself a Christian? Uh, How does it affect how I live to go to, to what you're saying? Um, And it's, it's been really interesting. And there have been times when I was like, I don't even know if like doing this podcast is like worth my time. Like maybe Mm -hmm. I should just stop doing that. This is just, you know, whatever. Um, or like, maybe, you know, I should just stop talking to these people or, or stop, you know, looking at this or that or whatever, just give up on the whole thing. And anytime I try to do that, I can't, (laughs) I don't know why it is. Um, but conversations like this, 
and books like Do I Stay Christian um, are, are always something that uh, are just inspiring and, and helpful. Um, and I know there's a million other people out there that are in the same boat that I am. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Rob Bell once, once told me, if you can go deep enough into your own story, then other people will hopefully be able to find themselves there as well. Yes. And so that's kind of what I'm trying to do. (laughs) And hopefully it helps other people. So, and thank you because you do the same. Thank you so much for for your work and uh, for this conversation. And um, I look forward to to see what what comes from uh, Brian McLaren in the future. Thanks. Yeah, most definitely, Brian. I'll I'll be sure to... um, include like your website and I'll attach to like the center for action and contemplation and a link, a link for your book as well. That's great, man. Well, keep up the good work and uh, maybe someday I'll get to drop in the brewery and uh, get to taste some of your artistic uh, productions there. That would be fantastic. Next time you're in Maryland, let me know. I'll give you the, uh, the VIP tour. How's that? (laughs) All right, man. Great talking to you. Yes. Peace and love. Take care.